This week on Twip Weddings, we're joined by Rob Adams from Rob Adams Films. Rob is a storyteller, cinematographer, and educator from New Jersey who has shot and produced over 500 wedding videos for clients all over the world. Rob's work has been featured on several websites and publications, including Martha Stewart Weddings, Green Wedding Shoes, and June Bug Weddings. Rob is here today to talk with us about the world of wedding videography and share some tips and advice on how wedding photographers and videographers can work together on the wedding day. And welcome back to another episode of Twip Weddings. My name is Bruce Clark, and once again, I am joined in the co-host chair by one of my usual co-hosts, Mr. Brian Capparici. Good day, Brian. Good day, good day. How's it going? No, no, good. It's good. It's good. No Robert Evans this week. Robert is on a secret assignment with Sony this week, so he, he's unable to join us this week. But we do have a special guest this week. We are really delighted to have Rob Adams from Rob Adams Films join us. And Rob is here to talk to us today about wedding videography. So, hey, Rob, how are you? Hey, how's it going, guys? Good. You're coming live to us today from, you're in Nashville? I think. I'm in Nashville right now, attending a marketing summit. Uh, yeah, and I am from New Jersey. That's where I usually am headquartered and operating out of. But uh, yeah, today I tend to be, I'm on awesome. the road today. Good stuff. Well, we appreciate you joining us today to talk about wedding uh, videography. But before we get into the show, we just want to remind our audience how you can uh, participate in the show. We've got several ways to interact with us. Uh, first, you can visit the website at thisweekinphoto.com slash weddings. Uh, there you'll find show notes for each episode, which contain links to everything that we mention on the show. Um, you can also leave your comments and feedback for us in the comments section. Uh, if you do have a question or if you'd like to suggest a topic, Topic who we'll, we could cover on a future episode. Just click on the contact us link at the top of the page and then select Twip Weddings from the drop down list to send us a message there. Um, or you can also use um, the hashtag TwipWed on social media. Keep an eye out for your posts there. Um, if you want to follow us, we're on Instagram uh, at TwipWed and we also have a Facebook group. Uh, just search for TwipWed on Facebook and you'll find us there. So let's jump into the show, and we've got a, lots of things to talk about um, today. Um, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we've got Rob Adams with us, and Rob is from Rob Adams Films. Rob is a storyteller, a cinematographer, an educator, and like he mentioned, he's from New Jersey. Um, you've shot, Rob, I, I said in here in the notes, I said you've shot and produced over 500 wedding videos. Is that so, yeah, I've kind of lost count over the years. All I know is I've been doing it for almost 20 years. I shot my first wedding uh, back in 1997. Holy smokes showing my age a Yikes. little bit. Yeah. Yikes. And your work's been, you know, I've seen you on, you've been an educator. I've seen you on Creative Live. I've seen you, you know, at conferences. Your your work's been published, you know, all over the place. Martha Stewart Weddings, Green Wedding Shoes, June Bug Weddings, all kinds of good stuff. So we thought it'd be awesome to get you on. We've had lots of requests to talk about wedding videography and the world of wedding videography because it's a whole other you know, realm of photography or videography, right? And photography that we talk about. So, oh, yeah. so just a brief introduction. We gave a little bit of background on who is Rob Adams, but a little bit more about, uh, about your background. How did you get into doing wedding videography? Oh man. I, uh, when I was in college, I went to be an art student and, uh, you know, I used to draw and paint growing up and, uh, you know, I thought I was talented in that realm. And then I got into school in my first day in class, uh, I started they so the instructor held out his hand under an overhead light and said, "Draw this." And I started to sketch the hand, and I looked to the right of what the guy next to me was doing, and to the left of what the girl next to me was doing. And I realized that my hand looked more like ET's hand <laughs> uh, than anybody. And I just I said to myself right there, I said, "I'm not going to make it." And I, it was just one of those things I knew in my mind. It was like, you know, not like, not like I'm lazy and didn't want to work toward a goal of getting better. I just knew I didn't have the inherent talent because theirs was so damn good. I was like, oh, God, I got to find something else to do. Um, so I kind of peed away my first year in college just doing normal freshman stupid college things. And then a buddy of mine came to me and said, hey, man, you got to declare a major. Um, I know the art thing's not working out for you. Why don't you try RTV, which is the radio television oh, yeah. okay. program? So I moved over to RTV, and I, I, I mean, you talk about a fish taking the water. I dove in headfirst. Not only did I love the environment of being in a control room with cameras and lights and a stage, but I, it was more about the being able to, like, knowing, like, looking at the equipment and saying, I can create something out of this stuff. I know I can. Um, wasn't long before I was 
helping everybody produce their projects. <laughs> and, and actually, um, this was right around the time that the first version of Adobe Premiere was <laughs> launched on an old, uh, on an old okay. Apple system. You're going way back then. <laughs> and I, oh, we're talking 1994. And uh, I ended up teaching my instructor how to use it. So I was actually teaching the instructor nonlinear editing when nonlinear editing was so new to the industry. I mean, broadcast outlets haven't even picked it up yet. This was merely, you know, software based and it was only used in very, very exclusive environments. So I picked up that very quickly. Um, and back in the day, everything was analog. So you had to digitize everything. Um, so get even just getting analog footage from a tape into a computer was a monumental feat. Um, <laughs> and when I was able to kind of do that. So it just springboarded from there. I mean, that's how I got into it. And the next thing you know, I went from ENG, you know, electronic news gathering to EFP, electronic field production. And then before you knew it, I was just producing. I was doing the first paid gig I ever got was I actually filmed a pig operation for the medical school on campus. Uh, and the doctor, you know, who was teaching the class or the residency, whatever it was, came to me and said, uh, listen, we're going to be filming this class on how to do a tracheotomy on a pig. Can you film it for me? And I did. I was excited. I walked in there with three cameras, uh, VHS, of course, and uh, mounted one overhead. I was I was just pretending like it was one of those hostages. Remember those surgery shows that you used to see on <laughs> ER or, or, yeah. or Chicago yeah, well, no, I mean, the, the, not even the dramatizations, the reality show ones where you actually watched a live oh, surgery okay, on yeah. TV. Um, I tried to replicate that that format, and I and I nailed it. Um, and I was like, oh, this is great. I'm going to do this. And, and then I just started producing reality show segments for like, you know, like uh, for I started working for um, production companies that provided content for MTV. Which is what brought me back to New Jersey, and I started working in radio and TV, and I was doing all this production for all this, all these different places. And then weddings sort of fell into my lap because I realized that you can't live in New Jersey or Manhattan on nineteen thousand dollars a year, um, and that ramen noodles don't make for a sufficient diet. <laughs> so, you know, I had to, I had to find a way to make more money. And uh, a buddy of mine who was a wedding DJ said, "Hey, man." Um, you can come stand behind the booth with me at weddings on weekends and you can just pretend like you're working as a mixer and I'll pay you you know, 75 bucks or whatever it was. I said, sure. And, uh, go to the first wedding and I'm watching the videographer and the guy was, uh, a very large gentleman, uh, standing behind a very large tripod with a very small camera on it, about 12 feet in the air and a car battery attached to the camera. Uh, and he was filming, you know, people dancing on a dance floor overhead with a direct light in their face. And I said, this guy doesn't know what the hell he's doing, uh, you know, in terms of production. And, and I decided to strike up a conversation with him over dinner. And I asked him, if you, listen, if you don't mind me asking, what do you charge to film a wedding the way you do it? And he told me $1,200. And I, that's more than I was making in three weeks. And I was like, I'm in the wrong <laughs> business. So... I went out immediately and found somebody who needed production on the wedding end. And I learned the business starting out filming 1500 person weddings for the Sephardic Jewish community of New Jersey and Brooklyn. Um, and the next thing you knew I was doing 60 weddings a year and I was making more than I ever made in my life. And, um, long story short, yeah, if it isn't long enough already, uh, about three months or I'm sorry, three or four years later, I realized why am I running somebody else's business? Because I had actually teamed up with somebody who knew who I was doing all of his production and sales. And I springboarded him into the regular wedding American market uh, rather than uh, this this niche community he was in. And the next thing you knew, I was uh, I started my own business in 2006. And here we are today. It, it just kind of snowballed. So from, from that pig, point, yeah, from pink tracheotomies to wedding photography, seems like a natural transition. <laughs> exactly. All right, it's a natural course, yeah, right? That's how you got into it, right? Yeah. You, it's you were, actually, it sounds yeah. very similar to mine. Yeah, I was, yeah. I was actually just photographing him for uh, for bumblebees, though. Instead, yeah. so bumblebee <laughs> trakes to, uh, to to wedding <laughs> photography. Yeah. So you had to use yes, a macro, yes, a lot absolutely. of assuming, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. A lot of macro photography happening. Nice. So wedding videography, I think we've all um, sort of either, you know, encountered it as, as still photographers. You know, Brian and I are both still primarily still photographers. Um, so, Brian, what's your take on what do you see are some of the differences Then I want to get Rob's take on it? But I want to hear Brian's side. What do you see are the major kind of differences between still photography and wedding videography in terms of storytelling and 
You know, it's it's funny because so Bruce, you and I were chatting off air um, beforehand about this a little bit because uh, maybe about three years ago, I actually had I brought in a studio manager to work uh, at my studio, and she had a keen interest in getting into video, and so we started to adapt uh, doing video in our business for our couples. We did some commercial videos and things like that, and uh, before then, I always had this sort of belief or this understanding that like, well, I'm a visual storyteller as a photographer. Like I, you know, I, my camera is my tool of choice, but I could do it in other mediums too. And I can hear Rob kind of chuckling in the background as I'm saying <laughs> this, but you know, I, that's, that was always my perspective, right? Like it's the same kind of tool. It's like, I'm just making a video instead of a picture. It seems pretty easy to me. Um, so we did it then we did it actually for two seasons, but what I learned in those two seasons is that creating a video a, a, a well-produced video, a well-edited video, one that has cohesion and one that sort of has a good flow to it is so far away from being a good photographer that they're almost like completely separate spaces. And I think it's really hard to understand that until you actually get in and try yeah. it yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, say, Rob, ahead, let's, let's get your thoughts on it. Cause <laughs> I know I'm, I'm going to guess you have a strong opinion on this. Oh, no, I didn't even mean to interrupt. I was just agreeing with Brian. I mean, it, it, most people don't realize that it is a yeah. whole, it's a whole separate yeah. space. Um, I just went to NAB out in Las oh, Vegas cool. for the first time. Um, and NAB is a massive show, National Association of Broadcasters. And you just, if you go to WPPI or a similar size conference for photo and then go to NAB, you realize how much bigger the video mm-hmm. realm is um, than what you just see at a photo conference. It is it's, it's an entirely different yeah. skill set. It's also something I'm not, I'm not saying that photographers can't learn to do it, but you better be prepared and committed to learn an entirely new yeah. craft because yes, some of the principles of photography apply. I would say many of them do apply, but how they are applied and how they are executed is completely yeah. different. Um, so it really, yeah, I mean, that's all, I mean, I mean that really kind of sums it up in, in terms of the differences between the two spaces, but it is challenging and there are so many many more things that can go wrong when you're dealing mm-hmm. with motion, the element of time over, you know, focus over time, exposure over time, exposure as the camera moves into a new environment. Um, just the difference between light by a window and light away from a window. And then you have to shoot a scene in that context. There's so much that can change in an instant that makes your life just absolutely. <laughs> and naughty. audio. Let's, let's add audio into that. Yeah. <laughs> And audio is funny because, I mean, there's a, at NAB, there's an entire, you know, the, the Las Vegas Convention Center is three big halls. And, I, and, and you know, video comprises probably 90 to, to 95% of the entire conference. But then there's a, this entire space that's probably the size of WPPI's main show floor that's audio yeah. only. So do you think, so obviously, you know, there's some of the tools, like we're, you know, photographers these days, we're equipped with a lot of the tools. And I think there was a movement, I don't know, when, when did Reverie come out? Yeah, when did that seven years ago, I think six or seven years ago, right? 2007 yeah, or 2008. Yeah, and there was kind of this buzz around the, around that time that all of a sudden it was like, Oh, okay. Now photographers can also become videographers because you're, you have these two amazing tools in your hands. What do you, how do you see that? Like, I don't see that that's really come to fruition. I think the way that the, maybe the hardware manufacturers thought that might happen, right? Would you? <laughs> well, you have to. You have to remember something. They gave the camera when the five D Mark II uh, came out. They handed it to a guy who's done commercial right. film production. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they handed it to Vincent Lafare, who's got experience working with RE and you know, and major you know motion picture camera equipment. Um, so yeah, of course, he was able to take this tool that had large format sensor <clears throat> capability and adapt it to something to make a short film. Um, but no, I, yeah, and of course, it was a marketing tactic. But in a lot of ways, yeah, it what it did, what the Mark II did um, for event cinematographers like myself was it changed mm-hmm. the game it gave us a tool that before was so um that that does something that was so complicated to do beforehand you had to have special equipment that did that and then it wasn't you know it wasn't exactly portable enough or pliable enough for weddings and events um so this changed the game in the sense that we had now had a tool that could that could we can have a hundred thousand dollars of production value in a three thousand dollar camera body um and that was incredible uh so yes it did change the industry that way as far as photographers go i remember watching photographers when i taught my first class on fusion and just introducing them to the very fundamental functions of a camera like the 5D Mark II video-wise, and they were dumbfounded. And not like in a, wow, that's cool kind of way, like a, holy crap, 
I don't understand anything you just said kind <laughs> right. of way. Um, because, you know, you say shutter speed to a photographer and it means one thing. You say shutter speed over the course of, uh, you know, in, in the context of video production and it's a completely different thing. They do, they do the same thing but in a different way to the medium. Um, so, yeah, trying to get a photographer who's so, um, uh, you know, um, conform to their way of thinking in terms of what their photographic technology is, allows them to do and then apply it to something else was just, it, 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 you know, people's eyes would glaze over. Um, so I've spent the better part of the last six or seven years trying to get people to understand that, yes, what you know about photography can be applied to video, but you do have to learn how to apply it. It doesn't just default. Uh, right. It's not just an easy transference. Right. <clears throat> yeah. So I want to ask Brian, have you, you've tried a hand, you mentioned you've done, you've done some videography. What did you find were the biggest challenges for you trying to make that? I, th- you know, I think um, the core idea of what we do, right? I mean, as a photographer, I'm a storyteller. Like we know that we preach that that's what it's all about. And at the core, your job as a cinematographer or a videographer is still storytelling. So I think that that at its principle stays the same, but I think that's where the similarities stop. You know, I think storytelling through video, like even technical stuff aside, right? Like what Rob is mentioning with the shutter speed and exposure and motion and stability and, and all the, those kinds of things, all that stuff aside, let's say you can even figure that stuff out because that stuff can be figured out. Storytelling as an art form for a cinematographer is completely different than storytelling for a photographer. And I think that's where the biggest disconnect is for photographers that try and do video because they bring the principles they know of storytelling from making a still image into making a moving image into motion. And I think that's where the biggest disconnect is. And that's why you have these videos that are put together that look so choppy. It looks like it's just shot after shot after shot after shot without any thought going into how that's put together and how that story is being told. Yeah. Yeah, one of the one of the things that has made my films, I think, stand out um, is, and this is not a bragging thing. This is purely, if you just an observational thing. If you look at my films and what the other guys that do it really well are doing versus most, you know, most of the rest of the industry, um, is that we pay attention to screen direction. Screen direction is an art, and, and when you don't have a scripted sequence, when you don't have a script, when you're not going into a job or a shoot with a shot by shot list of what or a storyboard of what things are supposed to look like, and then to sit down in an edit and create screen direction from what you have and how you've shot is a very, very difficult thing. And I think what we pay attention to is where the eye moves on the screen. So when I cut together a film, I'm always thinking, you know, the, the, the compositional difference between wide shot and extreme close up or extreme left and extreme right, or, you know, just media, you know, avoiding jump cuts, which is just two similar shots that are cut together. Or when you're doing dialogue over the shoulder, do you see a little bit of the person that is looking at your subject in the foreground or you do you not? And how does that tell the story? Does that, is that confusing? You're always constantly asking yourself, is this confusing to my viewer? Am I slamming their eye against the wall by cutting from this shot to right. this shot? Um, and that's what makes a successful edit, I think. And if you don't shoot correctly, you don't have the ability to do that in post. Um, at least not in the traditional sense without a lot of effects and boxes and cheesy yeah. stuff like that. Um, so you're really, you know, if you're just looking at a, a direct narrative cut of, you know, video shots that you put together, you really need to shoot intentionally in an unintentional environment. And that is the challenge. That's the hurdle to overcome to be a good event cinematographer. And how do you handle, you mentioned something about, you know, the fact that it's not, you know, obviously a wedding day is not, it's not scripted in the traditional sense of like, if you were shooting a, a movie or a commercial film or something like that, it's, it's very scripted and you know, you've, you storyboarded it all out. A wedding isn't like that typically, right? Like, you, yeah, right. It takes a lot of pre-planning. Um, we, 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 you know, weddings are the same, but they're different in their own little nuance ways. Um, what we try to find out ahead of the wedding is what makes this particular event stand out. What makes it, a, uh, what is this one thing that we can focus on that'll make that story come to life in post. And a lot of times it's the same thing, you know, bride and groom do, they write their own vows or they'll, they're going to read a card to each other in the morning, or they're going to write something out to each other in the morning. Or maybe the groom is in a wheelchair and he got you know, paralyzed in a diving accident on their the trip that they got engaged on which actually happened to us and it's one of our most successful films um so sometimes you have a ton of story to work with and sometimes you have no story to work with but by 
talking to your client ahead of time and just trying to identify what makes them them, what they identify with, we try to pick out one or two story elements that we can now plan for in the shooting of the wedding day. But aside from that, if you don't have story that you know you're going to focus on, we have to be very intentional. We walk into environments knowing, and each of my shooters knows their role. They know exactly what they have to do in that particular circumstance to achieve a clean edit later on. And since we offer both a creative film and what we call documentary edits, which is just like the, you know, the, let's say the whole ceremony, three cameras, and you can watch it like you're watching right. it live on TV. Um, we have to accomplish both of those at the same time. Um, so when we walk into an environment, you know, my job is this, your job is this, your job is this. Um, and the, uh, my shooters and I all know that we can't be shooting the same thing at the same time unless it's this, this, and this. So there's a whole pre-production thing that you can, you can plan for, even though it's not scripted by having intentionality and splitting up tasks and going into it with responsibilities that are individual to each camera unit. You can accomplish so much more than you think you can. Um, and it can come together in a very so clear way. Team, oh, go ahead, Brian. Uh, just go ahead. Say, I think, I think one of the things that I learned from, from, you know, trying it or helping out with it, um, for two years and also just in hearing Rob talk about this is there's so much more planning that needs to go into a successful uh, wedding day for a cinematographer versus that of a photographer. Not not to say that for us as photographers that we don't plan things, but for the most part, we can be pretty flexible. Well, we can roll with the punches, right? But if you're a, a cinematographer, like Rob is saying, there's all things like who's going to be where and what are they doing and what lenses are they having and how do you have this and don't break the whatever that, again, I I don't know all the technical terms, but the, the line, the right? C yeah, axis, exactly. Right. So all kinds of things like that that need to go into the planning of it that as photographers, we don't have to think about that kind of stuff. Exactly. And, you know, it's funny. We've gotten to a point now where my crew is my crew. I don't take on shooters just from wherever. Um, we've gotten to know each other so well. and We become such a cohesive unit that we literally can walk into a wedding day and wing it. Right. Um, and actually come away with an amazing right. edit. It's just because it's, it's just in, it's just right. become inherent, uh, in what we do, but we, st whenever possible, we definitely try to plan. Now we don't go scout locations. Like we get brides asking us, Hey, can you drive two hours out to my location in long Island and scout the venue? Uh, no, <laughs> but what I will do is we walk into a location and we can size it up immediately, find out where the light is. You know how it's like with photography, you're not looking at location more than you're looking at where is the light. Um, so we're doing that. We're walking into locations and sizing them up. So we do a, a fair amount of pre-planning the day of too, when we walk in and size up an event. So yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's a very, very, um, complex thing. Cause when you're thinking about not only video, but who's going to take care of audio and now we've got helicopters and crap like that. It's like, okay, who's flying the helicopter <laughs> yeah. during, you know, it's just like, oh my God, there's so much to think about, but like I said, if you just plan it out, have, you know, um, you will, I always, I always put it this way. Uh, when it comes to crew, your video is only going to be as good as your worst shooter. Um, because you, you have to divide up the tasks in such a way that you have to have trust in the people that you're working with. Now, sometimes I've had people with me who are decent shooters, but they're not what I would call an exceptional shooter. And I just put them on a lockdown shot. Hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to trust them to go, Hey, uh, track with the bride as she comes up the aisle. That's, that's just, you're asking yeah. for disaster. Um, but if you trust somebody enough to put them behind a lockdown camera and just say, Hey, be a warm body behind this camera. And if something happens, do right. something about it. Um, then, you know, you, 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 you're hedging your, your risk yep. there. You're hedging. Right. You're your not going to put them on the steady cam and or, or have them have the men in the drone or something like that. So, how, what would your typical crew look like <laughs> that you roll with on a into a wedding? How many how many people on a team? We generally three only. I used to go with four. I used to have three shooters, including myself and an assistant. Um, we've tried to trim that down just because not every venue is good is big enough to really accommodate us. Without you know, we we like to maintain a, a, an element of uh, unobtrusivity, if that's even a word. Um, we 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 want to be like ninjas, and it's hard to do that with right. a larger crew. So by our, our standard formula is this: we have a primary shooter, which is myself. We have a second shooter, who is basically has the same skill level, if not better, than the first. My one of my second shooters is 
freaking he's just he's he's a freaking nature he's just so damn good and he's a still photographer too so he understands light he understands composition and he brings all that to the table with a a really solid video skill set so he and i can team up split up in the morning i go to the bride he goes to the groom then we come together for first look or ceremony and then our third shooter is a logistics slash shooter so my i actually am very lucky i have a third shooter who is a a very very accomplished and skilled drone pilot he's also very good behind the camera in terms of just lockdown shots and making sure we have a, a static safe shot and he's a logistical mastermind if i walk in we walk we've walked in the same packed church in new york city where they're extremely strict about where you can be and he's managed to talk us into positions that no videographer's ever been able to be in before um so you know we're and he knows audio too so he'll go and set up my audio um so you know we used to have an audio tech and all that so i've tried to consolidate that into you know one or two people that can do amazing things you know multiple things um, so technically that's what my crew looks like on jobs where logistically it's going to be very difficult. Let's say for example, a wedding in Manhattan where we're going to four different locations, I'll either have a driver whose only job is to drive and load crap into buildings. Um, or maybe an assistant to help carry bags and set up light stands. Um, but generally not more nice, than four. Nice. And where did you, where have you, we talked about this, Brian, on other episodes, how we go about finding like second shooters and things like that. Where, mm. where did you find your team? How did you build your team? Cause that's gotta be a different, like, where do you go to look for good people, you know, for video or for audio or for doing some of those things? It's, it's a nightmare. <laughs> um, I, I have to be honest, I, I would be misleading everyone listening if I said, hey, just go on Facebook and find somebody you know and trust. It is so hard to find video talent. And I don't, I've been trying to figure out why for the last several years, if it's just that people who are very skilled in video are either doing it on their own and heading up their own projects, or they are a part of a larger team for a larger production company. But in the event videography space, man, the talent pool is thin. Um, I've, I'm gratefully lucky that I have a second shooter. The guy I was telling you about has been loyal to me, and he, he has his own photography business, but he second shoots for video for me, and we only do a limited amount of jobs per year. We do 20 to 25 a year. So, I mean, availability. I have I have two primary second shooters that I found on Craigslist going back like five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Which, But don't take my advice. Like I'm not saying go on Craigslist, because Craigslist has changed dramatically, but I really kind of hit the jackpot. Um, but nowadays, I think there's more people doing it so i mean actively now and i'm always looking for new talent i'm finding better luck in facebook forums where you can see other people's most recent work because emailing people and asking them to send you a reel is 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 a nightmare because they send you their best stuff in 30 second clips that doesn't show me anything um and the way we've tried to to um to vet potential candidates is to you know let they show me a final product that you've done so me show me something you've shot and edited on your own um and if it's an editor you know show me here here's three minutes of my footage blow me away and i'm not going to pay you for it um you know but that that's basically that's the only two ways that i've been able to find relatively good talent but honestly ask any videographer in this in this business they'll tell you finding people that you trust that are reliable and have their gear uh, gear that might be consistent with the gear that you use, and then having inherent natural talent for video production is extremely, extremely. Yeah, difficult. there's not me and Sorry. me and Brian were talking just before we were like kind of in the green room before we started recording about you know in our respective areas. I'm in Edmonton, um, Brian's in Niagara. What would you say the type of you know similar to what Rob does? Because yours is a very kind of um, how would you describe it? Um, so it's not it's not a, it's not like the old school like camcorder. It's very it's like watching a, a feature length kind of movie like it's a how would you describe it, Brian? I'm doing a horrible job of describing it, but no, it, I mean, it, I, I think like, in my opinion, that's the that's the real difference between cinematography and videography, right? Like a really well produced and well edited, well graded um, with a nice sort of level of cohesion and flow between it. I think that's the difference in my area here in Niagara. Uh, I'd say like 80 percent of the industry is still the old big camera on the shoulder, very choppy, no depth, no color, no grading, uh, very kind of like static to look at. But also it's like. 25 minutes right is what you're going to get out of it like a whole movie you look at something, yeah it's a whole movie uh, which is cool or, or if not 25 minutes it's like seven hours right it's like the whole thing they just like literally press record press stop and then at the end they say here's your vhs tape right yeah. whereas i think i think guys like rob they're doing more of this like highlight really beautifully edited well thought out well produced it's got depth it's got color it's got 
uh, nice lighting. It's got more of a documentary feel to it. It's got emotion. Um, yeah, it's got emotion. It has motion as opposed to like, uh, you know, a guy saying like uh, with the thing on the camera. I'm doing it in the video even though like most people don't watch the video. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually like, I'm cupping the camera on my shoulder right now for those watching the video or not watching the video. Um, you know, saying like, hey, say something nice to the bride and groom. Like, you know, like a lot of videographers do that and I would say that that space is diminishing in terms of um, popularity but in terms of what people will pay for it and i think that in and of itself at least in my area is making it so that you know maybe 15 20 percent of the brides here will actually have video because that's what they associate video to be or that's what they sort of assume video is and they haven't seen the things like what rob is doing and there's not many guys here locally that are doing that style um to sort of create some some life or some new excitement out of a space that's sort of been around for a long time yeah, do you find that, Rob, with, with couples? Like, I, I know when we talk to a lot of couples, we say, are you going to have a videographer? And they're like, mm, no, not really. And then we show them some work from people in our area that are similar to your kind of style, that cinematography. And they're like, that's really cool. I want that. But they haven't seen it. Do you find just generally the public is kind of a bit unaware of, of this type of wedding you know, cinematography? I think there's been a lot more awareness over the last several years. I mean, the, the, the brides that seek us out because uh, we give our pricing ahead of time before we even talk to them. Um, you know, the brides that seek us out, they know what they're looking for and, it, and it's the style that we produce. However, there's still a large market for people who just want coverage. I actually started a lower end brand this past year that does more of a coverage style because there's still a market for that. And it's totally separate from Rob Adams films, but it's a market where, you know, people go, hey, listen, I just want somebody to set up a couple cameras and capture my ceremony and my reception. Can you do that? And I say, well, as Rob Adams films, no, I can't. But here's my other brand where I'm going to send people out to do that. And these are just basic. Right. So it's less know, cinematography. Just it's just camera, more essentially. Yeah. So it's less cinematography. It's not produced and storytelling. It's just more. Here's the. Here it is as it happened, basically. And yeah. Right, exactly. And then, you know, and, and you know, there, there's still a lot of people that when they see our work, our creative work, they, they go, holy crap, I didn't know wedding video could be like that. That's my that's the people that we try to target if they have money, um, obviously. Yeah. But, you know, we've actually gotten to the point where we're producing we're producing, you know, five or six minute highlights. But that's not our primary uh, product. We actually produce a 20 to 30 minute creatively edited, uh, not like a doc edit, an actual creatively edited feature film um, that is, you know, we use like eight to 10 songs throughout it. It's fully produced with dialogue and audio, and it's taken a long time to build that formula. Um, and that's primarily, primarily what I'm educating on now is uh, how to do that, how to kind of give something that's, see, here's the thing. People like short videos. They don't want to spend six to $7,000 for a five-minute video. Yep. You know? So you know, if you want to command higher money, you better be able to offer something yep. more. Um, so we've, we've kind of mastered this um, workflow where we can charge five figures and give them something that's really value. Uh, you know, hey, I'm getting a 20-minute fully produced creative film instead of just a highlights video and then here's your ceremony, you know, as it was. So that's where we've kind of broken the mold and, and, and busted into this higher end space, giving people more, but getting paid a lot more yeah, to do nice, it. Nice. Nice. That's good. So yeah. Brian had to duck out. So it's just you and I now, Rob. So I wanted to ask you, cause the, you know, the bulk of our audience is probably still photographers and we are starting to, we're starting to attract people that do video as well, but I want to talk about the relationship and kind of how you work or how some tips and some advice you can give for, uh, working with uh, videographers. So, you know, Brian and I were talking about, you know, our weddings and I would say we were both about the same, probably about 20% of the weddings that we shoot, they'll have somebody doing video. So what are some, some suggestions and some advice you can give to still photographers just to kind of get a good working relationship? Cause have you encountered some, some difficult situations working with photographers or, or other wedding vendors that, you know, make it hard for you to do your job and, and vice versa? We, We've encountered it all. I mean, I think I think I could safely say, with with all honesty, I've I've seen it all. Um, I've worked with photographers who are um, well known, established professionals, but are very difficult to work with. I've also worked with well known, established photographers who are excellent at what they do and are an absolute pleasure to work with. And then the flip side, I've worked with photographers who don't know what the heck they're doing, and they've been really hard to work with. <laughs> um, so yeah, 
I've seen it all. Uh, I think what I try to do, the best way to, to kind of head off any problems if, is as soon as I know who the photographer is going to be on the job, I will research them. I'll check out their website. I'll look at their work. And if I feel like it's not in line with my style, for example, if my bride and groom have hired somebody who is more of a portrait specialist and is going to do all the, fam- the family formals on a backdrop somewhere at the reception, I will contact them and I'll, I'll send them links to my work You know, in a very non-aggressive uh, or arrogant way and just say, hey, how you doing? My name's Rob. I'm going to be the videographer at your wedding. I don't say cinematographer. That's pretentious. Um, look, you know, uh, I just want to introduce myself and just say, uh, you know, hey, I'm going to be meeting with the bride in the next couple of weeks and going over the schedule. I'm going to ask them for a few minutes at the end of the portrait session just so I can work with them. You know, you're welcome to shoot along. I just kind of like preempt my for my flow to them. And, you know, I get mixed reactions. Sometimes it's like, oh, dude, I'm so glad you reached out to me. So many videographers don't do that. I wish more would. Thanks so much. I, I, I've checked out your work. It's really good. I'm looking forward to working with you. Um, all the way down the line to responses like, um, really, like, who do you think you are contacting me? Uh, I'm going to do what I have to do, and you're going to shoot over my shoulder whether you like it or not, um, to no response at all, and then they end up being a nightmare right. on the wedding day. It, I think it comes, it comes down to personality. I think it... it I, I think it just comes down to personality. I think it comes down to, um, you know, how professional somebody is on the day of. But, I mean, as a photographer, from your perspective, check out, if you know you're going to work with a videographer, contact them. Or just read. I love it when photographers reach out to me first. Hey, man, um, you know, even if they don't know who I am, listen, I I just heard you're going to be the videographer. I just wanted to introduce myself. My name's Jim. I will be seeing you at the bride's house on Saturday morning, looking forward to working with you. It breaks down barriers. It breaks down that tension because we've all experienced that when you're standing there and in walks the videographer or the photographer and you're going, oh God, what's this, what's this interaction right. going to be like? What is this day going to be like? Um, it's just headed off at the past. Be proactive. Be friendly. Even if you don't want to work with a videographer or you think they're going to be a pain in the ass, you're going to do, you're going to be able to work alongside them better and you're going to be able to ask for things that you might need if you establish a relationship yeah, ahead totally. of time. Yeah, that's um, been my experience for sure is, you know, you, it's the old, you get more, you attract more with, you know, honey than, or how's that saying go? You, yeah, <laughs> you attract, with vinegar. Uh, you attract more flies with honey than with vinegar. Yeah, right. with vinegar, so, right? yeah, yeah exactly. You know, yeah. it got to the gate trying to establish that relationship right at the beginning. And then, you know, I, I find it just makes the, the wedding day go so much smoother and you're more likely, instead of setting up this adversarial kind of relationship out of the gate, Right. You set up, you want to set up a good working relationship so that you're, you know, again, you can do things for each other that maybe, you know, you couldn't, you know, couldn't do. Like I've had one where I worked with a videographer where he ended up being, he ended up flying solo, but he needed, he had a couple of cameras. And I had mentioned that I was, you know, at some point in the ceremony, I was going to go upstairs to get some overhead shots. And he says, when you go up there, do you mind? Cause I forget what he was shooting on. I think it was a Mark three or a Mark two or something. He goes, do you mind just stopping the recording and starting again? Because it, you know, can only go for whatever it was, the 12 minutes. And sure. uh, he says, I'm, I'm right. by myself. He says, do you mind? I said, yeah, no problem. Right. So there was situations like that that cropped up where, you know, we could help each other. Yeah. And, and it's a matter of networking and, and personal business relationships also, because I mean, uh, you know, you're going to, you're going to be able to leverage that at some point. Let's say for example, maybe something happened, your camera froze during the kiss mm-hmm. at the ceremony. Now you need to get a video grab. Well, if you've got a bad relationship with a videographer, asking them for a video yeah. grab <laughs> to use in an album layout, is going to be a yep. monumental feat. Um, so yeah, I mean, it just comes down to basic, like, be professional, man. I've, I can tell you some horror stories. I mean, I've worked with guys. I just recently, I worked with a photographer. I will not yep, name yep. the name, obviously. Um, but it was a guy who walked in and, you know, listen, my style is very progressive. It's very new. It's very technologically savvy. And in walks a photographer who's got a bracket with a direct flash and a pole into the bride's prep and then closed all the, the shades um, and wanted to do everything with his, with his flash. And it, we had beautiful natural light. And I'm like, bro, I'm sorry. I got to keep these windows open. Oh, no, I have to shut them because it's going to throw daylight in here. I'm like, listen, man, we're obviously on two different wavelengths here. We're on two different pages. Why don't you just go ahead and get your shots first, and then I'm going to have her undress and then do it again. And, and you know, right away, he's like, well, I don't want to do that because then it's going to take more time. It's like, well, we kind of have to find a middle ground here. What are we going to do? You're welcome to use your flash, but the windows yeah. have to stay open. You know, it's, it, and I try to educate my clients. Listen, don't hire a photographer who's from 1942 yep. and hire me. Don't just don't do it. You're, you're asking for your, I can't do my best work. If you're going to pair me with a photographer who's 
in a different millennia, yeah. literally. Um, so, I mean, it just comes down to common sense in that respect. But I, we try to be as professional as we can working with all photographers. Um, and, and when we get feedback or, we, or f- when we get pushback, we just kind of we let it slide off. Because we we're confident enough in our skill set that we can make a good film out of anything. Um, but, you know, you, you always run the risk of somebody right. screwing yeah, it up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, how does it work in, uh, communication-wise in terms of, like, staying out of each other's shots and things, you know, like that? Because I know we run, you know, that's one of the things sometimes if you're in a, you mentioned uh, like a small church or, or a church where there was a you know limited space availability. How do you how do you, how does that work? How do you kind of? Yeah, it, it'll depend on the location and what we're trying to accomplish. For example, I'll take first looks because they tend to preempt ceremonies. Uh, first look, I'll create a one eighty degree arc. You know, with you know, say if the bride's going to walk up to the groom, nobody's allowed to cross the z-axis to the other side. So we'll create a 180 arc, and then I'll explain to the photographer, "Hey, man, you can do whatever you want. Just don't walk in front of our cameras, and just try to stay on this side of the bride and groom in this arc." Um, you know, and then we're going to reenact, so you're going to have plenty of opportunities to get different angles right. and stuff like that. And once they realize that we know what we're talking about, they can get more creative shots because they have more opportunity. It's the ones who close the gate and say, "No, we're going to just do this," and and then everything comes out like shit, right. including their stuff, because they don't yeah. know what they're doing um but we communicate in that way and then ceremonies we always say hey look so i'm gonna have one guy up in the balcony he's gonna have a wide lens on so feel free to be in- I've, I've given up putting a camera in the aisle like that's just dumb um because you can't stop a photographer from walking up the aisle yeah. it's just not gonna happen and you know it's the ones that really want to screw you because they don't like you they'll stand there chimping the back of their camera standing right in yeah. front of your aisle shot so we've eliminated that completely now we just do a far and away high static and which is even beneficial for the film because then you see the whole church and it's beautiful. Um, but we just say, hey, look, we have 270 to 200s on the sides. Just please don't walk in front of our cameras. If you need to get through, just duck under. Um, and we're just going to ask you to just let's not let's just stay yeah. out of each other's way. You know, let's like, I don't I don't want to be in your in your photos. You don't want to be in my video. Let's just yep. let's try to do that. Um, I think by being vocal and assertive and, and establishing authority early on is the key because if you go into it and you're meek and you're a fly on the wall, the photographer is going to push you around um, and you're just going to have no say in anything that happens. So we, we definitely assert authority in a very non-threatening way. I think we've yeah. become very good How about with, uh, with guests and things like that? I know we have to deal with that. It's a fairly common thing, right? With a lot of guests and things getting in the way. Do you find that that's even a bigger problem on the video side or you just kind of roll with that and that's just part of the, the natural events of the day and... No, I'm actually more of a jerk to the guest than I am to the photographer. Um, guests have no place. In my opinion, there's the guest does not have a place to stand up and take a photo during a ceremony. Sit your ass down in the chair and be where you're supposed to be. And I know it's a harsh perspective, but when we come at them, you know, again, very non-threateningly, but we will approach and say, listen, you really need to sit down because there's a lot of photographers here and you're kind of in the way. Immediately, I've never gotten a response other than, oh, dude, I'm so sorry. And right, then they sit yeah. down immediately. But if I come if I come over to them and I'm like, sir, excuse me, I'm sorry. Would you mind just sitting down for a moment? They look at me and mm-hmm. go, who the hell are you? You know, but if I walk up with authority, I can get them to move out of the way. Plus, we also have been encouraging our brides and grooms to have an unplugged wedding where they notify everybody ahead of time. I think that cuts down on about 80 to 90 percent of the people. You're always going to have one. Uh, You're always going to have the one that the the guy's got a Nikon D70 and he just wants to stand up and be a part. He wants to feel important. Fine. We'll walk over to him before the ceremony and say, look, man, I know you've got a camera. You're welcome to take pictures. you just got to stand by one of us at all times. You can't walk in front of yeah. us at any yeah, point. That's tough, right? Like with, and, with stills, yeah. we can, you know, we can find ways to shoot around it and whatever. But with video, like if they walk in front of that, that shot's, that shot's ruined, right? Like you can't. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we take it as far as we tell the officiant, like if it's an on-site ceremony, not a church. I always make it a point to ask the officiant, hey, can you do me a favor and make sure you tell everybody to sit down after the bride walks in? You'd be surprised how many officiants don't do that. And for photo, no big deal. You just move yeah. and get a different angle. I've got cameras on the sides. If people don't sit down, I have no right. shot of yeah. the bride and groom. So in some cases. So it's really important that we communicate with all the vendors and just, just establish, hey, man, we are doing X. We need you to do Y. And, and, yeah. and that no, tends that's to good. work. That's some good, uh, good tips and good advice. So what do things uh, look like um, on the you know, post-production side of things? What, um, you know, what, what's it look like for you? guys i know it's a whole other world of (laughs) a whole other world of hurt compared to still photography but 
So for so for me, what it, what it looks like is now I have to wear bifocals yep. at 40 years old. Um, it also looks like me having to look into a mirror and see my hair all messed up coming out of a dark room for after an eight-hour edit session. And lots of coffee. Um, honestly, the editing post-production part is the part I enjoy probably the most um, because you get to see it all come together. And I've actually taken it upon myself to edit a lot of my feature films now. Uh, I had some editors, and I found that the time that I was investing in working with them to get it the way I wanted it to do in a shorter amount of time I could get it done myself um, so I've been doing a lot of my own feature editing and then I have somebody else doing my low end editing brand but basically what it looks like is I try clock everything that I do using a, uh, a timer app called Toggle T-O-G-G-L it's just a web based uh, project management okay. timer and uh, it helps me to identify how, how much time I'm spending on each phase of my project so even when I sit down with the footage and I ingest it into the computer I make it an, an action item okay I am ingesting start the, start the timer when I'm done ingesting I stop the timer and say okay that job it took me 25 minutes to ingest the job before it took me 20 minutes to ingest. And then every step along the way, I'm clocking what I'm doing. So the next thing would be to organize and keyword tag and favorite all my best shots. That'll take me two to three hours. So I've gotten it down to by managing and observing and studying my time per job, I've learned that I can get a 20-minute feature plus documentary edits done in just under 25 hours, which is yeah. incredible. Because um, my editors were taking two weeks, and then I did revisions, and then the revisions would take a week, and you know I can get it done so much faster now. So you have to have what Dave Ramsey, the uh, financial guru, likes to call it. Um, uh, you know, have to have gazelle-like intensity. Mm -hmm. You know, he says that because you really have to um, approach your post-production with purpose. You can't just sit down and be fleeting and um, say, "Oh, I'm just going to sit here and put together what I've got." You really have to know how to take the pieces of what you filmed and then put them together with a formula um, so you plan you have to sit down and go through your footage what do I have what do I want the arc of the story to be what story elements do I have do I have any story elements if I don't what the hell am I going right. to do for eight <laughs> minutes um, so you know you it comes down to a managing expectations in the very beginning telling your clients making sure your client knows in the very beginning what you're offering um, I know guys that offer, they say, they say to the bride and groom, I'm going to give you a 12 to 18 minute film. And I'm like, why do you do that? That's a nightmare. If you give them 12 minutes, they're going to wonder why you didn't give them 18. Yeah. You know, so you have to, I say you get a 20 minute film and it doesn't fall below a second below 20 minutes. That's it. That's what you're getting. Um, and the same thing with trailers. Like, oh, you get a two to four minute trailer. No, you get a three minute trailer. That's how long it's going to be. And I know when I shoot, I have to come up with three minutes right. worth of material. So you've already sort of defined that ahead of time. So you're not like playing that guessing game on the day of, you know, or, or during the edit. So you set those expectations really clearly. Right. Yeah, that's good. Exactly. Yeah, so it's very much you have to have a very efficient workflow. We just had we had Jared Platt on uh, a recent episode, and we were talking about workflow for wedding photographers. So I imagine it's very similar for wedding videographers, right? You guys need to have a very a, a t run a tight workflow, otherwise, you know. Oh my god! Yeah. Yeah, and Jared, Jared, Jared's got the workflow thing down pat. I mean, I love Jared. Um, he, uh, you know, right down to just how you organize your files and folders before you edit, um, or how you back up everything, or how after the wedding, after the, you know, how you finalize your project. Okay, here's my edit. Now, what are my four steps to close this thing down and make it delivery, delivery ready? What do yeah. I have to do? We have that stuff, you know spelled out to AT and, nice. we and that's just come from years of experience right just years of doing it and being in the trenches it comes from years of it comes from years of being so disappointed with failure um, it, you know we've been able to, to maintain happy clients for you know since my business was started in 2006 no problem I've never had any major issues um, but we've been so frustrated along the way going how can we make this faster we're spending so much time that I think is unnecessary doing certain things and it just comes from that frustration in that place of going you know I'd like to see some yeah. daylight on a Sunday <laughs> afternoon um, you know that you start to think how do I how how do I get my workflow to a better place? And that's, yeah. that's where it comes from. Are you from. seeing, I know there's a bit of a trend right now with still photography in, in the outsourcing of, you know, editing, right? We're starting to see photographers, you know, there's a lot of companies springing up that are offering that service. Um, are you seeing that on the video side or do you find that that's more like, where do you find the storytelling? Is it more in camera or do you find it's more the edit? Is that more where that happens for you? 
it's it's both, and you have to know what you're doing. Um, I've seen some of the post production services. I actually tried to start one a couple of years ago, and it failed miserably, just because we could not take somebody's garbage footage and make it good. And the expectation was this needs to be good, and video is garbage in, garbage out. So if you give me garbage footage, you're gonna have a garbage edit. Um, so it was really tough to. Um, being in the role of an editor in a post-production environment for other companies make it happen when that company, the production company, didn't know what they were doing. Uh, that's very difficult. And I've seen some of the ones that are up now. I'm not going to you know, smash anything. I think it's great that they exist for those. There is a market for that. But I cannot trust somebody to build the story of what we do outside of the of the of the context of yeah. our production house um it's really tough unless unless somebody's just super talented and they have the knack and they get it they have to get it they have to go i see what rob is doing here i see what he did with this sequence i'm gonna build it like that it's really yeah, tough to find that'd be, that'd be really. challenging yeah for sure um my 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 advice just the I just want to say this because I do want to encourage people. I hate to be so negative about a lot of things. Uh, my advice is learn to edit the stuff yourself. Really learn how build it the way you want it, and then if you need to train somebody, show them how to do what you did. Um, that's the best way. Don't just trust somebody who says I'm a video editor to put it together. That's like going on Fiverr and trying to find somebody who could design yeah. an awesome logo. Uh, it's kind of like you know you you got to know somebody who knows you yeah. and your style. So what's what's changing right now? What are some of the you said you were just at NAB? What are some of the things that are changing technology wise that's affecting you guys in the videography side? Obviously, 4K is the big buzz you know right now. You got drones or like all over the place it seems uh, what's what's the kind of the latest and greatest for you guys that's changing how you work yeah it's it's really funny i mean talk about production value what you can do now for relatively little money is just incredible like the drones yeah i mean that's all the rage right now and make it makes everybody into an aerial photographer slash cinematographer which is great um and i think the ronins and the three axis gimbals and all that kind of stuff is making stability and the ability to get floating shots much easier rather than having to rely on a skill set of a steady cam yeah. or glide cam that's amazing camera technology i'm kind of disappointed um canon i feel like is not stepping up to the event uh, and meeting the needs of the event cinema world. I think the, I shoot with Canon, so I can yep. say that. Uh, um, I use the C100 and C100 Mark II, and I love them. I think they're amazing cameras, but they're not 4K. And any 4K option on Canon's side is uh, expensive for what you get in a camera yeah. body. Um, like the 1D, 1DX Mark II is a wonderful camera, but if I'm going to pay $6,000 for a cinema camera, it better have ND filters and XLR inputs. Um, and a camera like the 1DX Mark II, while it may take amazingly gorgeous 4K raw video, uh, it doesn't have the cinema features that I'm accustomed to using with a C100. So that's kind of a disappointment. Sony looks great. The A7S is a, an amazing camera, uh, but the overheating issues in 4K are a problem. Um, I can't. I, I need to be able to trust my gear. Um, so that that's a little bit. Do you think the, the the rumors about the Mark IV is it looking appealing to you? Of what you've heard or seen out there? Or? At this point, yeah. it's just rumor, and you know? I've only heard conjecture, so it's really tough to put any stock or hope in it, especially since two or three NABs have gone by now, and Canon has just disappointed me on the event cinema end. I'm not saying Canon sucks. Canon's amazing. I love their high-end cameras. It's just when I have to buy three or four of them, it's just not an, an yeah. appealing option. What about the world of, like, I'm seeing a lot now with, like, VR and 360 video. Is that coming into your world at all, or are you seeing any of that? Y you know, I... I've been looking at it a little bit, um, and I think there's definitely a future place for it. It's just a question of how it's going to be adopted. It's almost like 3D a yeah. couple of years ago. Everybody was like, oh, I knew guys that went out and bought 3D cameras and shot weddings with 3D cameras, and I was just kind of shaking my head it's like, like, yeah, it's that's not going to catch on. Right. The VR thing is a little different. I think the ease of post-production in it, and now you can even edit it. There are plugins and third-party manufacturers making things that allow you to edit it in common NLEs like Premiere and Final Cut Pro 10, um, which is incredible. Yeah. So that, yeah. So that's, um, and, and to be able to easily put that together, I mean, you could just plant one of those cameras at a, uh, in an aisle or, uh, you know, far away on a ceremony or even up close and just let it roll. And you've got this 360 degree dock edit that you don't even need multiple cameras to do dock yeah. edits anymore. Um, so that's where I see it going. It's like, okay, here, I'll cover your whole event by putting this one camera here. And then I'm going to shoot creatively with my, yeah, with you kind my of, team. there, were you talking about the Rico, like the theta? 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's a couple of different ones on the market. I mean, I, I don't trust any generation one technology ever. Um, that's why I kind of waited until they, they ironed out some of the kinks with the uh, DJI Ronin in the first Phantom. And, and that's yeah. I kind of waited. Um, but yeah, it's cur- I'll be curious to see 18 months, 24 months from now where the VR space yeah. is, because I think it's only going to get yeah, better. Have you shot it all with the uh, what do you think of the um, oh, what is it, the Osmo? Have you played with that? I haven't actually. I, I picked up a couple of them at NAB and I just played with them. Um, I think they're great, but my here's my thing: like, um, uh, it's it's the it's the, uh, the 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 camera image is really nice, but when I fly with a Ronin or with a Steadicam, I like to use shallow depth of field. Um, so I like to kind of space myself out. I don't have a follow focus. I don't have somebody pulling focus, but I will maintain distance to shoot shallow and have a nice cinematic look. And the Osmo has got a great camera on it, but everything's going right. to be very flat so if you're using it for wide shots and sweeping landscapes and room you know uh, overalls and things like that it's fantastic i love the portability of it i think that's incredible um and you know again if you can if if, if you can mount a camera on it that gives you that shallow depth of field i think that's a game changer yeah, cool yeah it's always it's fun this stuff hey there's always more coming out and new tools and probably even we could probably do a whole show just talking about audio and, and all of that but uh Oh, yeah. Audio is a whole different space. I mean, there's some exciting stuff happening with audio right now um, where I'm seeing manufacturers starting to get into the space of parabolic mics in a very portable and affordable uh, space where you can stand 30 to 50 feet away from a subject, point it at his mouth. It's, it looks like one of those uh, radar yeah. dishes. You see them on the sidelines of oh, yeah, NFL okay. football yeah. games, and you can, po- you can point it at somebody like very small. You point it at somebody's mouth from 20 to 40 feet away, and as long as you're on target, you get a nice clear as if you have a mic up right on, right on his face. Um, so that's going to change the game in terms of weddings because mic and grooms and stuff like that can, can be right. a problem yeah. sometimes. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah cool that's stuff. fun. Yeah. Well, this is good. I think, uh, we'd love to have you back on again and we can go more in depth cause I think there's an, there's an audience for this. I don't know what the podcast uh, landscape is like for wedding videography, but, uh, you know, I know we're certainly getting questions from our audience, you know, about it and, and certainly there's some interest out there. So it'd be great to have you on again and talk more in depth about the actual process and, you know, the, the editing process and all of those great things. This is just kind of skimming the surface a little bit today and introducing the topics so yeah i'd love to come back thanks for having me on and uh you know i did have a uh, a wedding cinema pod related podcast a while ago called the we be rolling podcast and we kind of had to go on hiatus when my daughter was born um but we are going to be bringing that back at some point i just don't know when but i will throw a little bone out there to the people who've been hounding me for the last 18 months like dude where's the podcast um we're going to come back in some form we just don't know what that looks like yet we do have a venture that's in the works but yeah we'll we'll keep you posted on that 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 would be great so awesome well normally we would do um our picks of the week so we've got a section where we normally pick a pick of the week i don't know if you've got something ready for us that you can uh choose that would be an item it could be anything uh you know it's somehow uh, related to the world of photography or the business of photography i don't know if you've got a pick that you'd recommend or something you, you could suggest oh that's okay uh let's see pick in terms it could be of maybe a podcast book a piece of gear something you've just you know just maybe something you saw at nab that you thought was really really cool that you pass on to our audience that you thought would be really really good Okay, I'll, I'll tell you what. There was something really cool that you got to check out. It's not something that's any, that any of us are going to go out and buy, but you have to look at it. Uh, if you check out my Instagram, go to Rob Adams Films on Instagram. And let me see. I'm just going to actually pull it up because I want to I want to direct you directly to this uh, uh, this pic that I took at NAB. It was in the red uh, the red camera digital cinema booth, and uh, it was a, it's a robotic camera rig that is made by precision motors and this thing is dialable to within a millimeter's accuracy for programming match move camera movements and it's absolutely incredible um and if you go uh it's on my it's on my instagram and if you just go to uh f- it's about five okay. weeks back about five weeks back <laughs> and it's it's tagged nab las vegas convention center uh rob adams films on instagram uh five weeks ago it's got 59 likes you okay. a huge following <laughs> um motor motorized precision and it's this video of a camera mounted on this motorized Rig, and you have to see this thing in action if you if you're a fan of okay. Iron Man, um, you, you know the thing that Robert Downey Jr. aka Tony Stark has in his lab dummy, uh, the the robotic thing that he okay. puts a dunce cap on yeah. and it had the fire. It looks like oh. that. 
This thing is a beast. I mean, if you just want to go look at something really cool cinema-wise and get yourself amped up for cinema gear, go look at this nice. thing. Yeah, really you guys cool. have so much. You guys have so many fun toys. We thought photographers have fun toys, but you guys have, like, <laughs> way more, way more oh, fun. Man. So it's the best. Awesome, yeah, awesome. Well, I've got two picks this week. So my first pick is just going to be probably most photographers are subscribed to this, but it's the Adobe Creative Cloud. Um, and do you use Premiere to do your editing? Your Final no, we Cut? do Final Cut okay. X on everything. Yeah. All right. Well, if you happen to be subscribed to Adobe Creative Cloud, which probably a lot of photographers are, use Photoshop and Lightroom. Um, obviously, if you get the all apps plan, that would also include, you know, Premiere Pro. So if you're kind of interested in the video space, you know, that's, I know, another popular application that a lot of, uh, you know, videographers will use for the actual editing process. I know I've started to teach myself it a little bit and I'm learning more about the video space all the time. So that's my first pick. And my second pick is actually, um, you've got a bunch of classes, like if people want to learn a bit more, you've got a bunch of classes you've done on Creative Live, right? Yeah, there's a couple of up there. I, I'll be honest with you though. They yeah, are kind you of did outdated. them a few years ago now, I guess, <laughs> hey? Um, yeah, you know, so the first one we did was on photo video fusion and that'll give you really good tips and tricks on how to get started with your DSLR and shooting video. So definitely go, if you go to creative live and search Robin Vanessa, um, you know, our, our photo fusion course is fantastic. And then I did one on final cut pro X, which is okay. completely, yeah, cause that always changes, right? So. <laughs> um, the program has changed so much, um, but we are going to be doing some educational content coming up soon. So just, if you want to subscribe to my email list, go to photo video, uh, learn, learn photo video.com. Uh, and then you can sign up for our email list and get notified when we okay. release some new educational content, which will be coming again, very soon. Learn photovideo.com. Learn photovideo.com. We'll right. notes in that as well. And then people can head on over there. Excellent. And sign up Great. If they want to learn more. Excellent. Well, Great. that brings us to, I think the end of another episode of TWIP weddings. Of course, we want to uh, thank our sponsors, uh, and want to thank Rob for being on the show. Um, if you're listening to the show on our website, please make sure to subscribe to the show using the box on the right. Um, you can also sign up for our email list to be notified of new episodes and get exclusive subscriber bonuses. And if you have any feedback, suggestions, or comments about the show, you can reach us directly by using our contact form. Just click on the contact us menu at the top of the page. So before we kind of close off, where can people go if they want to find out more about Rob Adams and Rob Adams films and all that good stuff? Where can we find you? The best best place to go right now is the website robadamsfilms.com now that's my business website that is you know for brides primarily but we are like I said I'm going to be launching some new educational content soon you will be able to find it linked from robadamsfilms.com uh, you could also find us on Facebook robadamsfilms Instagram robadamsfilms and Twitter robadamsfilms stuff and of course, if you're looking for me, you'll find me over uh, my website, which is momentsindigital.com, or I'm at Bruce Clark with an E uh, on most of the social networks, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff. And of course, Brian and uh, Robert will also put links to their presences as well. So if you want to follow along and of course, be sure to visit our website at thisweekinphoto.com for this show and all the other great shows on the TWIP network. And thanks again for listening to TWIP Weddings, raising the bar one wedding at a time. 